Thank you, choir and John and orchestra for wonderful music. Like I said a moment ago, it is great to be home, and I appreciate from the bottom of my heart all of your praying and um, inquiries of uh, our health and care over there in Uganda. The Lord was good to us. I gained weight. Believe it or not, I gained weight. Um, but I will tell you, uh, I, last night, uh, she hardly ever asked me if I'm ready to preach because I stay way ahead of, the, uh, of it. I, I'm, I'm always ready to preach months in advance because I don't want to get up here with any Saturday night specials, you know. And uh, so my beloved saxophone player said, are you ready? And I said, no, I have no clue what I'm going to do. Uh, it's just, I'm just so discombobulated, you know. And um, because I knew that several of you were, were wanting to hear about uh, some of the events over there. And, and plus, I wanted to continue our little series on why people need to be saved. And so this morning, I finally settled on it. I had things in my mind, but finally settled on it. And, and um, so if, uh, we're going to be looking at the Psalms here in a minute. But I want to share with you a couple of things. Um, we landed in Entebbe, Uganda, which to me is a, a historical, well, it is a historical airport. Uh, look up July the 4th, 1976. Something very interesting happened there. But um, I get off the plane after two days, and I go into customs, which, you know, is, if you ever traveled internationally, you know customs. you got to go through customs. And I'm standing in line talking to my friend, and a lady in front of me turns around and says, Where are you from? And I said, Well, I'm from Ocean Springs, Mississippi. And she said, well, I'm from D'Iberville. <laughs> and I said, well, it's small world. And she knew and went to high school with Matthew Golf. And I texted Matthew, and I said, I can't get away from you, brother. I mean, uh, first thing I run into is Presley and Macy Lee's daddy. Somebody knows her daddy. But it's a small world. I'll tell you another small world story. Um, we leave from New Orleans. I get on the airplane. I'm hoping to sleep. I want to sleep because I know sleep is going to be deprived. And I sit down, and I'm on an aisle seat. I always try to get an aisle seat. I don't want to sit next to a window. I don't want to sit in the middle. I want an aisle seat. I'm very adamant about that, aren't I, Miss Tracy? And uh, And... I'm sitting in that aisle seat, and a man sits next to me, and there's a flight attendant traveling to her next station and the window. And uh, this man says, where are you going? And I said, I'm going to Uganda. Oh, you doing business over there? And I said, no, I'm going to uh, train pastors and, and do some evangelism work. And uh, I said, where are you going? He said, I'm going home to New Jersey. And I said, well, good. And he said, you know, I used to be a Christian, but I converted to Judaism. 
And I said to him, well, actually, um, I'm going to Uganda to talk about the greatest Jew that ever lived. And I want to tell you about him from your scriptures, Isaiah 53. So I just started preaching. You know, he, he asked for it. So I started preaching. <laughs> I started in on it, Isaiah 53. And when I started, that flight attendant closed up her book and started praying. And I didn't talk to her at all. Uh, you know, it wasn't too long a flight, and I didn't get to talk to her and got off the plane. So on the way home, I board, uh, and, and we had a seven-hour layover in New Jersey. That's the only place I had a language problem with them Yankees up there. I, you know, they, they had a hard time understanding my, my accent. But uh, anyway, um, got on the plane in New Jersey, fly home to New Orleans, and that flight attendant was my flight attendant on that plane. And she said, I remembered you sharing the gospel with that man between us. And she said, I started praying for him. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. And she's from Gonzales, Louisiana. And uh, she, uh, she told me, she said, how long were you gone? I said, 10 days. And she said, well, I've made three trips to Paris since you've been gone. And I said, well, what a, what a wonderful life. You know about that. I said, what a wonderful life. And she was a wonderful Christian lady. But uh, I do appreciate your prayers. And God was good to us. Many people were saved. Saw sights and smells and, and struggles of people that um, I'm just so thankful. But uh, I, I do want to, we're, we're going to make a video where I will give you a full report and put it on our website. Uh, Cole is going to help me work on that. Thank you, Cole. And um, uh, but I do want to show you something. Now, George Smith was the missionary that led this tour. He was over there. And George has preached here before. You remember George and Geraldine. He was over there for 25 years and uh, laid a great foundation and got COVID and like to died. Matter of fact, he told me, he said, if I was in the States, they would have pulled the plug on me. He said, but they got me to, to uh, Zambia or Lusaka, and he said, my wife refused to let him pull the plug, and, and I'm alive. And he's preached here. He gave you that testimony. Well, day one, he said, I want you and, and, and Lowell, a man named Lowell who was with us, we're going to drive a few hours out, and I'm going to go with you to a church. I want to show you something at this church. And so he drives us out. And uh, we, we get stuck, and they have to push us out, and goats and chickens everywhere. And uh, Put up that first picture, if you would, Gary. And we drive to this church. And George says, a few years ago, I got them this tin roof. They used to have nothing, but I got them this tin roof. And he said, I'm here uh, with you because I wanted to make sure they got that tin roof up. He said, we raised the money and got on that tin roof. And he said, I see the roof. And uh, he uh, said, I'm going to stay here a little bit with you. So go to the next picture, if you will. And uh, there you can see one side of the church. And next picture. And uh, 
we had a visitor. See the visitor? That's a rooster. <laughs> and uh, and uh, dirt floor and pulpit. Is it videos next, Gary? What's next? Here's y'all sing along. Y'all recognize it? Now they, they sing one more song. I want you to see if you recognize this one. God is so good. looked at me and said, I've seen the roof, I'm leaving, I'll pick you up later today. And uh, you might have seen a man wearing a yellow shirt, you can see his yellow shirt right there, his name is Lowell, he is, he is a pastor from Tupelo, and we just called him, he works with Mississippi Baptist Convention to reach out to African American churches that want to become Southern Baptist. He is 6'7". And uh, I'm only 6'3", but uh, he's 6'7", and he's just a gentle giant, and I, I love Lowell. And I told Lowell, I said, Lowell, I said, I want you to come down to Ocean Springs and preach for me at First Baptist, and I want you to meet my people and my people to meet you and tell us about your work, how we can pray for you. And uh, Lowell and I had a wonderful time uh, together, and uh, I look forward to you meeting him. But George said, I sent you to this church. The pastor was Pastor Mark. His name was Mark. And he said, I sent you to this church because they need walls around their church. They need walls. They got the roof, and now they need walls. And I said, well, how do they do the walls? He said, they'll do it from brick. He said, they'll do it all themselves, all the work themselves. They just need the money to buy the brick and the mortar. And uh, I said, well, we'll do it. I'll tell the church family, and we'll do it. And so George is going to come later on, one Sunday, preach for us, and uh, tell us what we need to do to raise the funds. To You see, um, you say, well, they don't need it. They seem to be doing pretty good without it. But the rainy, when it, it's the rainy season over there. When it rains, you can't sit in there. Because the rain blows in on you, and then the chickens come in there, and the goats come in there, and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, they need walls. And, and you know that the church needs to be a good, solid building in the town, in the village. And so uh, I want you to pray about that, and you'll be hearing more about that, and we can give to that cause. And uh, I don't know what it'll cost. Uh, it may be about five million shillings. 
all right? Uh, if you give $100 at the bank, they're going to give you 370,000 shillings. That's the economy. That's how it is over there. And so um, please uh, pray about that and be aware of that. And uh, be thankful. Be thankful for the blessings, the temporal, physical blessings of America. And I want to tell you, folks, don't be complaining about the medical system in America. Uh, we went to a hospital, a children's hospital, and patients were on the, on the ground in the yard. In the yard. And the wards were just full of small beds with three and four children and babies per bed. One may have malaria, another one may have a heart problem, another one may have uh, some kind of other sickness, and another one this, and their mamas and daddies are gathered around them, and uh, they bring them in to the hospital when they're almost gone because they can't afford it. And they bring them in, and the doctors will do their best, but if they have to buy meds, they have to go buy their own meds. And uh, so be thankful, amen, and be a giver. And we need to give to our cooperative program through Southern Baptist Work and Missions. It's the greatest missionary enterprise in the world it ever has been. And so I want to encourage you in that. You'll be hearing more about uh, uh, some of the... Uh, wonderful things that uh, the Lord is doing over there with His people, and it was just an honor and a privilege to go sit it uh, to teach and preach. They preached us about six hours a day, uh, tag teaming. So I was preaching about three hours a day, and uh, of course that sounds like an awful lot, but cut it in half because you have to have an interpreter. And uh, so if I say something here in a minute and pause. It's because I've been preaching for, to an interpreter for t 10 days. No, I'm not going to do that, I promise you. But anyway, uh, I uh, didn't know exactly what to, um, uh, direction to go today, but the Lord gave me something that was on my mind throughout the week. So open up your Bibles, if you will, to Psalm 68. Psalm 68. And uh, we're going to focus on verse 11, but I'm going to read... A portion of this chapter to you. Psalm 68 is a remarkable, remarkable psalm. It is a psalm that has within it history. It has within it praise to the Lord. It has thanksgiving. It has testimony. It has all the elements of all the other psalms. And it is, uh, also contains a note of the imprecatory. Now, what does that mean? Well, you're reading in the Psalms, and you might be reading about how we praise the Lord and, and uh, worship the Lord. And uh, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And then you'll come to a Psalm that says, Lord, crush your enemies. Crush my enemies. May you, may you destroy my enemies. That's an imprecatory Psalm where David or whoever is the author of that particular psalm is calling for deliverance from his enemies and the judgment of God upon his enemies. And uh, this contains that note of imprecatory psalm. In this psalm, though, 
It expresses the joy of the Lord and the joy of Israel when the kingdom comes, when the Lord returns. Um, and it is prominent. It is what we call a messianic psalm. It points us to the Lord Jesus Christ and especially the coming of our Lord to establish His kingdom in Israel on the Mount of Olives. Oh, I wish He would come today. And, uh, and then we could have peace on earth. But He's not here yet. So there's a job for us to do. And this psalm has that prophetic note and it looks for the messianic kingdom when Jesus comes back. Some would tell you that um, we don't know who wrote this psalm, but um, most would uh, agree with the, the fact that David did write it. That's my position, that David wrote this psalm. And he wrote it when he brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. We read about that in 2 Samuel. You remember in 2 Samuel, he said, I'm going to bring the ark to Jerusalem, and he did it wrong. Remember that? Cost a man his life. And for three months, David repented of that and sought the scriptures and learned how you handle the ark, how you handle the testimony of God's presence with Israel. And then he did it right and brought it to Jerusalem. And remember that we, we preached two sermons on that. first sermon was what worship is not. And then the second one, what worship is. And we looked at the elements of worship. And many say, and I agree with them, that this is when David wrote this psalm, when he brought the ark successfully uh, to Jerusalem and uh, set it there for the people of God to be able to have their tabernacle there and worship and then, of course, the next chapter, he wants to build the temple. And God says, don't build the temple. You're not going to build the temple. But the ark sat there in Jerusalem when David brought it back. And I believe that because whenever Moses would move the ark of the covenant, move the tabernacle, Numbers chapter 10 uh, says, And the cloud of the Lord was upon by day, and they went out of the camp. And it came to pass when the ark set forward and that Moses said, Rise up, rise up, Lord, and let thine enemies be scattered, and let them that hate thee flee before thee. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, upon the many thousands of Israel. Now that's what Moses said when the ark moved. Well, in Psalm 68 and verse 1, David quotes that. And that's why we believe it is tied to the moving of the ark to Jerusalem, supposed to being his final place where God would rest the ark and build the temple eventually. So let me read Psalm 68 and verse 1. Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered, let them also that hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad, let them rejoice before God, yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. Sing unto God, sing praises to His name. Extol Him who rideth upon the heavens by His name, which is the Lord, and rejoice before Him. A father of the fatherless, and a judge 
of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God setteth the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound with chains, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. O God, when thou wentest forth before thy people, when thou didst march through the wilderness, the earth shook, the heavens also dropped at the presence of God. Even Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. Thou, O God, didst send a plentiful rain, whereby thou didst confirm thine inheritance when it was weary. Thy congregation hath dwelt therein. Thou, O God, hast prepared of thy goodness for the poor. The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those who published it. That is our focus verse today. The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those who published it. And, of course, we read those wonderful verses where he says, Sing unto the Lord. Not a lot of singing going on in Israel today. A lot of trouble. You've kept up with it in the news. A lot of trouble. But one day Israel will sing when the Lord comes back. But today, verse 5, he's a father to the fathers. Isn't that a wonderful description of our Lord? We went and preached at a school. They all, there's a lot of schools in the villages. Or, and they want to educate their children, just like we want to educate our children. And I want to tell you, when I say school, folks, I mean don't think of our high school. Don't think of the Ocean Springs University High School. Don't think of that. Don't even think of anything we have in town as far as our school. We're blessed with wonderful schools. But, I mean, it's just remarkable. And so I preached at a school. And we had some kids respond and pray to receive Christ. And, and uh, we're about to leave. And the principal comes to talk to me. And he speaks English. And he says... And he points to a little boy sitting down. I don't have the picture here, but he points to a little boy. And he says, that's Fred. His name is Fred. And he said, Fred was born blind. And he's here at the school. And we take care of him. And so I sat down next to Fred. And I held him close and I grabbed his hand. And I said, Fred, my name is Mike, and I came today to your school, and it's a joy to meet you, and I want to pray for you. And I started to pray for him, and I just broke down. You can ask my dear wife. I usually try to control my emotions, all right? I mean, uh, I... I Especially those, you know. I'm the kind that she'll say, you're crying. I'll say, no, I got something in my eye. But I want to tell you, I, I, just, I just couldn't handle it. And I just stopped. And uh, my buddy got a picture of it. But um, I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I'm going to pray for Fred probably for the rest of my life. Because I want to know what becomes of him. I want him to 
grow up and be saved. He's, you know, four or five years old. I want him to be saved. I'm going to ask you to restore his sight, give him his sight. And I want to know, Lord, sometime, perhaps when I get to heaven, what becomes of him? And Because um, I just couldn't imagine being blind in that world over there. And he, uh, he just touched my heart. So I got home and I wrote my prayer journal uh, on Sunday mornings. I'm going to pray for Fred. I don't know his last name. I, I don't know his, his whole story. I just know they take care of him at that school. And uh, thank God for that principle. And uh, he wasn't malnourished or anything like that. But pray for Fred. When you think about him from time to time, pray for Fred. And uh, ask God to let us know somewhere down the line. He, God can do that, amen? Even if we never go back to Uganda, God can let us know what become of Fred. Maybe in heaven one day we'll know. But maybe on earth, God may let us know what becomes a prayer. If he can put a flight attendant on one flight ten days later on the same flight with the same bald-headed preacher, he can tell us who Fred is. Amen? <laughs> he can tell us what becomes a Fred. And so we're going to do that. But he's a father to the fatherless. He is. He puts the lonely in families. That's what verse 6 says. He puts the lonely in families. That church you just saw, after a couple of hours, the pastor said, we're going to take a break. Y'all go eat somewhere. And they went and sat under banana tree. Banana trees everywhere. And me and old Lowell went into a little room no bigger than, than uh, well, smaller than that orchestra section right there. And you had to stoop down to get in. Dirt floor, brick wall around it, and they had a table in there. And they had rice and beans, and they had chicken, and they had fish, and they had something else, <laughs> and they had another something else. And uh, I grew up in South Texas. I can handle the rice and beans, amen? And the chicken was good. I wasn't about to touch that fish. I wasn't, no, 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 no. And so we ate, and the mission that George had sent a, a courier up there before we ever got there and gave him the money to provide that meal. And sometimes we got to eat lunch, sometimes we didn't. But Lowell said, to the pastors sitting around that little table. And then pastors in the window. Looking in the window and the door. What's your challenges? What are your challenges? And one of them said, we need Bibles. We don't, I don't have a Bible. And I have to walk from one place to another to a pastor that has a Bible and copy out of his Bible. And he said, we need Bibles. And by the way, where's my Gideons? Raise your hand, Gideon. I preached in a prison. 400, it's designed for 400, we had 2,400 prisoners in it. Preached in a prison, there's a church in the prison. And uh, the interpreter said, when you come to the prison, you're going to sit down 
Uh, you're going to sit in some chairs, and the men are going to gather. We're going to start singing, and they're going to gather. And the church in the prison is going to sit down, and everybody else who's not a part of the church is going to stand around. And when you start preaching, they're going to start gathering around. And we had 12 men saved at the prison. And so, sure enough, they all sat down. And he said, that's, that's the church. That's the members of this church. They wouldn't let us take pictures. We had to leave everything in the, in, you know, on the bus. And, and I got to looking, and they had Gideon Bibles. Them orange ones. You know, the orange ones y'all pass out, they had a little Gideon. Somebody had gone in there with Gideon Bibles and gave them Gideon Bibles. Isn't that something? So it's, it's wonderful. So when I die, give to the Gideons. Amen. Because, uh, or even before I die. That could be a long time. But uh, they, they, got, they do a great work. But the prisoners had Bibles and the pastors didn't. And then one of them said, we have a challenge. He said, my members of my church, they come to me and say, we need food. And he said, but what do I do? Because my family needs food too. And I have nothing, no food to give them. And this verse came to mind. He sets the solitary in families. Be thankful for your church family. And the answer to his challenge was, that's what the church is for. When you have a church, the body of Christ, one may be in poverty, but another is not. One may be in want, and the other may be in abundance. That's what they did in the book of Acts. When they were being persecuted, they voluntarily came and said, we have much, we'll sell what we have and give it and we'll distribute it. It was all voluntary. That's not communism, it was all voluntary. And so we encouraged him to get somebody in his church who's trustworthy, who can connect people and say, oh, well, Cole and April, they don't have nothing this week. They don't have nothing. And Mike and Tracy, they've got two chickens. That's about how it is. And a dozen bananas. And so Cole and April can come to Mike and Tracy. That's the body of Christ. Amen. That's the family of God. When somebody's low and down, there's going to be somebody in your church who is up. And those who are up need to lift up those who are down. And that's the body of Christ. Even here in America. Not, not always financially, but it, in emotionally and spiritually. When somebody's full of encouragement, there's always going to be somebody discouraged. And you've got to take that encouragement person, put them with that discouraged person. That's the body of Christ. That's why God put us in a church family. Amen. Don't ever be a Christian that just has your pew and your pew only. That's good preaching even if it's after 10 days of being over there. Amen. We're to share with what the blessings we have. And that pastor smiled real big and said, okay. But now to the preaching. The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those who published it. First time I ever gave any thought to this verse, I was a 20-something-year-old pastor in North Louisiana. And I drove on a bus, rode on a bus 
to Ridgecrest, North Carolina. And on that bus was a preacher by the name of John Trailer, Dr. Bud Trailer. He was a Hebrew scholar, is a Hebrew scholar. He pastored First Baptist Church of Monroe. You know who he is because he used to pastor the First Baptist Church of Gulfport some decades ago and moved to Monroe and was there for 25-something years. And Dr. Trailer was a wonderful, wonderful, stalwart Louisiana Baptist, very well-known, very austere, and him and I just became friends. And I kind of looked at toward him for a little bit of mentorship and help in, in my studies. And one day I invited him to go fishing with me on a farm pond. And he came out to, Tracy, you remember, he came to eat with us. And he came out. And he had an expensive fishing pole. I mean, it was nice. Nothing like I could, you know, I had the Zebco 33. But he had that nice expensive fishing pole and we were in a rowboat fishing in this farm pond and he threw it and let it go and it sunk I mean it went down he looked at me and said oh I need to I need to get that he said my deacons gave that to me as a gift and he jumped in the water and he went under the water to find that pole and you know it could be 10 seconds but it seems like 10 minutes when you're sitting in the boat waiting for the austere sophisticated Dr. Bud Trailer to come up out of the water. And I'm sitting in that boat thinking, if he drowns, the whole Louisiana Baptist Convention is going to know I drowned him. <laughs> and he came up with that fishing pole. I never will forget that. And then we went home and to the house, and I think we, we had biscuits or something. But, but he always, he, he lives in Baton Rouge now, but he always... This was his signature verse. And he would quote it when he greeted you, and he would quote it when he left you. The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those who published it. The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those who published it. And for these couple of months and preparing, that was the verse that was on my mind. And I want to speak today on the great company, the great company, our greatness. You know, we are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's some greatness attached to that, only because there's some graceness attached to it. But great is the company of those who publish. What makes a church great. What makes a Christian great? What makes a work great? What makes a emphasis like who's your mission great? What makes an opportunity to go somewhere, Uganda, South Dakota, Hawaii, Brazil, where we've been? What, what makes that opportunity so great? And to be a part of a great company. Well, there's three things inherent in this verse 11 that I want to give you. First of all, the great company is great because they have a great master. The Lord. The Lord. This is the God. 
that David says in this psalm is coming back. This is the God who's going to crush his enemies. This is the God who makes the solitary have a family. This is the God who makes the fatherless have a father. This is the God who can change people's lives. This is the God of the Jewish Old Testament that that old boy on the airplane claimed to believe. This is the God who parted the Red Sea. This is the Master who provided manna and quail. This is the Master who raised up the prophets to warn His people. This is the Master that sent His Son Jesus, born of a virgin. This is the Master who walked among men and touched life, made blind people see, made the lame walk, made the sick whole. This is the master who provided tax money out of a fish. Amen. This is the master of ocean, earth, and sea, as the old timers used to say. This is the master. We have a great God and a great master. And he can meet every single need. One of the most captivating things over there in Uganda was the total dependence upon those poverty-stricken people on the Lord. On the Lord. How they have to rely on Him every day for their daily sustenance. They get up and many of them go to a field to collect their food for the day. They have goats and they have chickens and and. They, some of them live around Lake Victoria, and they fish, and God provides their daily sustenance. They dropped us off one morning, me and a pastor, Brother Wayne from uh, Brookhaven, and they put us off the bus, and they said, walk up that trail, and the interpreter's going to meet you. And... Um, there's a church over there on the horizon. It's a pastor there, and you're going to train in that church. And we'll be back by sometime, sometime. And okay. And we were walking up, and we came to a bunch of banana trees, and there was a lady in the banana trees. And she started, uh, I'm going to do it, okay? But don't you guys make fun of me. Presley, you make fun of me, you're going to be in trouble. She started going, la, 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 hollering at us. And uh, now all I had to do was outrun Wayne. But she came and grabbed us by the arm. And she started talking to us in Lugandan. And, and I, you know, and the interpreter said, she wants you to come to her house. She wants you to come to her house. And so we walked into a, what was her house. Dirt floor, and, and her grandson was in there, and her mother was on a pallet on the floor, and her feet were bent around. And she introduced us, and we introduced ourselves, and the interpreter interpreted. And she says, the Lord has blessed us today because he's brought you to pray for my mother who's crippled with her feet. And so we prayed for her and, and visited with them. And 
we said we, we're here to talk about Jesus and we're going to teach people about Jesus. And her grandson was there and, and he came to Christ in that room. And that old woman started praising the Lord. Now I want to tell you, the master we have gives our daily sustenance. Don't think for one minute, folks, that your savings account is secure. Because it could get down to our daily substance every day. And this is that master. And look what it says. The Lord, our master, that great master, gave. He gives us our daily sustenance. He gives us our needs. He gives us our health. And He gives us the grace when our health is gone. He gives. And so... We need to know the greatness of our master. And look, if you understand and start learning the greatness of God, you'll serve him more. You'll want to do more. You'll trust him for more. You'll learn to pray with faith and confidence because you'll know his greatness. But it says, the Lord gave. He gave us his son, Jesus, on the cross. He gave us his Holy Spirit. To draw us to himself. But this text says, the Lord gave the word. The Lord gave us, not only, we, not only we have a great master, but we're a great company because we have a great message. The word of God. The word of God. Oh, folks, listen. We don't have the right. We don't have the right to have an opinion. We don't have a right to have a say-so. We have been bought with a price, the blood of Jesus, and our opinion doesn't make a hill of beans, but this book is what we need to proclaim and what we need to be about. I was bought with a price on March 1st, 1971, In March of 1981, I told God I'd be his preacher. And I don't have a right, and I know sometimes I may slip to say, well, let me tell you what I think about this. But I want to tell you what, we are to preach this book and teach this book and proclaim this book. That's it, the pages of Holy Scripture. God gave the Word. It is the inspired Word of God. The scriptures say about itself, all scripture is given, the Lord gave, all scripture is given by inspiration. Theonustos, God breathed. This is the God breathed book. It's God's word. God speaks these words through holy men that he chose and ordained and made prophets and apostles and picked them up to where they would pen these words. And because it is the breath of God, from the breath of God, it is inerrant, without error. It is infallible. It will not lead you astray. It has persevered. God will protect His Word and keep His Word secure and hold it until we all get to glory. It will endure forever. And so it is the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit illuminates this scripture for us. He he teaches us. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. And he provides teachers and preachers and 
people who have studied God's Word and taught them to teach others. The Lord gave the Word. It is the, we have a great company because we have a great message. And when we cease to have a great, to teach His Word and preach His Word, we're no longer great. The power of the Word. It's powerful and it can change lives. So I encourage you. Become a student of the Word of God. Think about it. You probably have more Bibles in your house than the pastors in Uganda have. I mean, those men said, all I have is a page. Or I have to walk every now and then to, the, to another pastor who has a Bible and copy it out. And we need Bibles. And there's a language issue. There's so many dialects. It's a language problem to get them Bibles. But God can take care of that. And so be thankful and be a student of the Bible. Amen. Well, you got one. You ought to read it. You got one. You ought to study it. You got a pastor. You ought to come here and preach. That's preaching to the choir, isn't it? Amen. Oh, I want to tell you what. We have a great message. This book, it is profitable, Paul says. It is inspired. And he says it is profitable for doctrine. Doctrine is what is right. The right teaching. And then Paul says it is profitable for doctrine and it is profitable for reproof. Reproof is what is not right. And it is profitable for instruction. How to stay right and be right. The Word of God. We have a great message. And so, as I would listen to those pastors over there and hear their heart and their love for the Bible and oh, how they long for a copy of the Word of God and thought of those prisoners having a Gideon Bible stand. They got Gideon Bibles over there. And um, I thought, man, thank God for His Word. Amen. What a wonderful message we have. And how dare we want to stray away and speak or teach or preach anything. I'm so glad I don't have to get up and make something up every Sunday. We can just haul off and open up the pages of the Holy Bible and preach. Amen. Cole, don't ever think you have to make something up. Just study the Word of God, write notes down. And I want to tell you these people who say, well, your devotional life and your preaching life ought to be separate. I'm going to give Cole a classroom right now. Look. Your preaching comes out of your study of the Word of God, whether it's in your devotional life or your study or what have you. Amen? Good. I'm glad you got it. All right. And so, haul off and preach. But then, we're a great company, not because we have a great master. Not only because we have a great message, but we have a great mission. Look what he says. The Lord, that's the great master. Gave the word. That's the great message. The, the Bible contains the gospel. Folks, the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That Jesus died for our sins, was buried. That's the message. That's what the Bible teaches. And everything, everything in the Bible has to do with that. Every bit of it points to that. The gospel of Christ. And how it saves us and changes us and makes us His people. But we also have a great mission. Great was the company of those that published it. 
What's real interesting is some Hebrew scholars translate that to read, and many were the women who proclaimed it. And they said it had to do with, with the songs of Deborah when they crossed over the Red Sea, uh, uh, the songs of Miriam, and, and they worshiped the Lord, the women sang. But the translation says, great was the company of those who published it. They proclaimed it. Now, folks, listen. We're not writers. We don't write scripts. We're publishers. A publisher takes what somebody else has written and presents it. We are publishers, amen, of this book, the Word of God. And we have a great mission. Before Jesus ascended, His last instructions to the church was, Go ye therefore... And teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. That's what we call the Great Commission. And it is to go into all the world. But here's the problem we have. Here's the problem we have at 602 Washington Avenue. Go into all the world. Go into all the nations. We think that means Uganda only. We think that means Brazil. Or we think that means give to missions. But I want to tell you what. It does include Uganda, but it also includes Your house on Thanksgiving Day when your lost family's there. It also includes your neighborhood. It includes the school where you go to school. That's part of the nations. Are we a nation? We got to go to the nations. And that's why we emphasize who's your mission. That's why we like to see those orange balls getting fuller and fuller in that little wooden case right there. That's why we had 230 names of lost people who need to be saved right now. And that's why we emphasize it. That's why we have this display up. Because people are lost without Christ in America and in Uganda. Let me tell you the difference. America is just a nicer, more comfortable place to go to hell from than Uganda. That's what it is. And you get sick over there, you may not be able to survive, but in America you might survive. But I want to tell you what, if you die without Christ, you're going to wind up in hell, a devil's hell, created for the devil and his angels, not for you. Remember a few weeks ago where he preached on there's a hell to avoid. And so that's why we have the mission, that's why God put us here, to share the gospel. Somebody shared it with you. Somebody shared it with you. And you can share it with somebody else. You can share the gospel with somebody else. And so I want to encourage you. And who's your mission? And this is what I want to encourage you. Folks, listen. It's so important. Christmas time's coming. Thanksgiving holidays are here. People are sensitive to the the Lord during this time. I mean... uh, What an opportunity over the Christmas celebration to say, you know what Christmas is all about? And share the gospel. 
Share the gospel. You got to get Jesus out of the crib and on the cross. That's good. That's good preaching right there. Nobody going to have a problem with Jesus in the crib. They love the baby Jesus. But you get him on the cross where he challenges man's sin. And he shows us the love of God. They might have a problem. But you, gotta, you, you can say that's why he came. If he was just bleed in a manger and all we had was silent night, holy night, we'd all be going to hell. But thank God we got the old rugged cross. And thank God we got he arose. Christ arose. That's our message. That's our mission. So take this opportunity during these holidays. If you have your family and your friends and your mission, your white ball is with you on Thanksgiving Day, say this, let's go around and tell each other what we're thankful for. After all, it's Thanksgiving, and you know he might, your lost man might see your lost mission may say, well, I'm thankful for this food. Well, that's good, that's good, okay. But you say, I'm thankful for Jesus Christ who died for my sin. And that when I die, I'm going to heaven, and I'm thankful you can go to heaven too when you die if you would know Jesus. Take the opportunity. Take the opportunity. Be a great company of publishers. Amen. Christmas. Share the gospel on Christmas. People are sensitive. They're more open to it. And the Holy Spirit will go before you. Amen. See, here is the pattern. Go ye therefore... Teach all nations. That's evangelism. Baptizing them. Baptize them. And, and, you know, we baptize in a pool over there. They baptize in the Nile River or the Lake Victoria or a mud hole. We, get, we got a nice pool. Amen. Got chlorine in it. Baptize in that. And you baptize them. That's the first act of obedience after you're saved. If you've been saved... But you've never been baptized, you're in disobedience. And you need to obey the Lord. And, and, and you're not going to move forward in your Christian life and grow in the Lord until you get baptized. And uh, you, you got to be baptized. I'll tell you one thing those pastors really liked is when we explained when I did my thing about baptism. You know, here's the water, and here you are standing in the water. What does my hands make? Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And you're saying, you go under the water, you're saying he was buried. Then you come up, he rose again. And you're saying, my sins were nailed to the cross, and I was buried and risen to walk in a new life. That's what baptism is. It's a picture. And so I'd pull out my phone to those pastors over there, and I'd explain baptism, the doctrine of baptism. And I'd click my phone, there was a picture of my lovely wife. And I'd say, this is a picture of my wife, but it's not my wife. It's a picture of my wife. I can't talk to my wife right here. I'm not going to kiss the picture. And, uh, but the real thing's back in Mississippi. Baptism is a picture of your salvation. And God wants you to be a painter and paint the picture. It's the first act of obedience after you're saved. And you get them saved. You get your mission saved. Bring them to Christ and they get saved. We'll help you with the baptism. We'll work that out. And then it says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. That right there is discipleship. You get them in the church. You get them in the local church. I'm troubled today in America. People don't think they need the church. 
But I want to tell you what, Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, and it's the most important place to be. The church, the bride of Christ. I wouldn't give you two cents for somebody's salvation who doesn't love the church. Because you love what Christ loved when you get saved. And you become a part of the church. And you grow in the Lord. That's what Hoosier Mission is. That's what we need to publish. That's our great mission. And so the Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those who published it. So I want to encourage you in Hoosier Mission and in evangelism. Don't go astray. Let's stay with it. Let's give to missions, but let's also go ourselves across the street, in the school, at work, sharing Christ, the gospel. That's what's going to get people saved. That's what's going to get people saved. And God will do it. God will do it. Amen and amen. Well, let's stand for our song of appeal. And we're done today. Let's bow our heads. I want to ask you something, dear friend. If you're, are you 100% certain that if you died today, you'd go to heaven? Are you 100% certain if you died today, you'd go to heaven? If not, I want to encourage you to come forward during this invitation time. We're going to sing and invite people to come and talk, talk to us up front right here. You just walk out down the aisle and you can go to Cole or myself and say, I'm not 100% certain. I don't have assurance like that. And we'll help you. We'll take some time with you. We'll answer your questions. We'll show you the Word of God and minister to you. We'll have somebody with you and walk through that process with you to come to assurance. Maybe you're here and you've been saved and you know you're saved, but you've never been baptized. You've never followed the Lord by being immersed. That's the only baptism, right? That's the only way to be baptized. The word means to immerse. You've never been immersed in the name of the triune God, believing it is a picture of your salvation. And you want to obey the Lord in that and follow the Lord in believer's baptism. We'll help you with that. Maybe you don't have a church home and you need to be part of that great company called the church that just publishes the message of the gospel. And I want to encourage you in that. You just come on down. Come forward and we'll help you. We'll help you.